hello, working wife, happy life listeners. I am so thrilled to be back with another episode of our podcast after a brief hiatus while the world as we know it completely changed. I hope this message finds you all safe and sane as best we can be during these trying times. A quick note that we're obviously now doing all our recordings remotely, so please bear with us on the sound and any background noise you may hear, dogs barking, doors opening, it just is what it is. So throughout the past several weeks, I have thought a lot about this community. I shared a tweet that I found from Neil Webb which stated, you are not working from home. You are at home during a crisis trying to work. This framing was so poignant to me and reminded me of how simple word choices can completely change our perspectives. I also thought about the title of this podcast, Working Wife, Happy Life. I've received a lot of questions and feedback from guests and listeners of, you know, what if I'm not working or what if I'm not a wife or what if I'm not happy? And I know I've addressed this previously, that it's more of a vibe than a prescription, but it's important to know that it's how I identify. When I started to take on the role of the breadwinner for my family, there was no roadmap, and any research that I found painted such a negative picture about the arrangement. It was almost like it was telling me that I couldn't be happy, and that is how I started and why I continue on this mission. Selfishly, it's to produce content and perspectives that contribute to my happiness and hopefully to yours, regardless of your personal position. Now, I know we all have a different road to hoe during this time. There are many of us that are struggling with working from home, those of us who cannot work from home and are at risk on the front lines as essential workers, There's those who are now unemployed or furloughed. There's those with and without children, people who are partnered or single, those who are in happy or unhappy or potentially unsafe relationships. Everyone is experiencing this global event in a different way. So whichever scenario you are in, or even if you're not in one of the ones I have highlighted, you need to know that you're not alone. Your struggles and triumphs are felt by many, and we all need that sense of community now, especially when we can't see it or feel it physically. So in light of this, as well as a nod to May being Mental Health Awareness Month, during today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing two clinical psychologists from the incredible Child Mind Institute. Dr. Andrea Pascarelli, and Dr. Jennifer Louie. For those of you who are not familiar with the Child Mind Institute, they're an incredible nonprofit focused on advancing the science of the developing brain, delivering the highest standards of clinical care, and producing high-impact education and outreach programming. You can learn all about them, access their incredible resources, and donate to their cause at childmind.org. I am so honored they made the time to connect with our community, and I hope that those who are parents, educators, or those who have young minds in their life will find this conversation insightful and reassuring. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Drs. Pascarelli and Louie. And a very happy early Mother's Day to all the moms out there. So it'd be great just to start if you guys could just give me a little bit of background on Child Mind Institute, uh, the mission and what you guys do, and then any um, background that you'd be willing to share with our listeners in terms of your personal situations and your professional careers. Um, Great. Yeah, so so Child Mind Institute is a national nonprofit that supports children and families uh, with gold standard mental health care advice and resources, all online and accessible to everyone. Um, so we are clinical psychologists um, in our anxiety disorders center, 
in um, our new San Francisco Bay Area location in California. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah. And our, go ahead, Andrea. Oh, I was just saying we're headquarters in, in New York. I think our clinic opened um, uh, 2009, I think, before Jenny and I were on board. Um, and then our Bay Area office opened in just September of 2019. So we're, we're, we have a newer, a newer group out here on the West Coast. That's excellent. It's it, I just see the rise in this conversation, particularly around children um, for mental health, and it's such an important thing. Um, my my child's my middle schooler's uh, school actually just opened up a wellness center, and excellent. that was one of like my biggest you know reliefs is just to remove the stigma. This is the place everyone can go. Um, mm -hmm. It means different things to different people, and I just feel like it's such a critical conversation, particularly at that age, to start bringing up. So. Um, love the work that you do. Uh, we've had the privilege mm -hmm. of hosting you guys at Google um, as an institute. And that was really, uh, to me, really eye-opening, again, some of the work and efforts that you do. So I encourage all our listeners to check out the institute and all the resources that are available. Um, and are either of you mothers? Are you, do you have children? Yeah, so both of us are moms. So my husband and I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and we're both working. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Make your thumb in the background. <laughs> all, it's, it's, that's one of the joys of what's going on right now is I feel like we're just, we've kind of broken down those barriers a bit and just made it a little bit more human, which is a good thing in my book. Yeah. yeah. Andrea, how about you? And ditto, ditto to that. My, I, I have a husband and we both work, um, working from home right now where I like how you said it on your, um, webpage was like, we're home working in a crisis, not that we're all working from home. I thought that was poignant. Yeah. Um, and I have two boys. Um, let's see, they both had birthdays during COVID. So they're now 11 and seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I have an eight and a 12 year old. So I'm, okay. I'm kind of, I, the same split as you are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a trying time as a parent. Like you said, you're juggling your career, you're juggling the kids. Um, and even prior to this crisis, I feel like we were already overwhelmed. We were already uncertain of how to manage everything that we had to get done in a given day. We were already worried about our kids spending too much time on screen time or whether or not they were internalizing the events around them. And now it's just put such a magnifying glass on, you know, what we thought was what we thought was bad before. And now it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, well, we never thought it could get to this. Um but I would love to hear from you guys just in terms and, and feel free to jump in wherever you feel like you have the most poignant and, and um, specific uh, thoughts and advice. But what is the general trend that you're seeing in terms of either the resources being engaged or their outreach coming to Child Mind Institute in this time um, from the lens of, of kind of children's mental health? Well, I think a lot of parents are asking, um, you know, how to talk to their kids about coronavirus or how to um, handle questions or anxiety or handle them, the behavioral problems that are can be can increase with being cooped up at home. So I think uh, a lot of parents are asking, you know, general questions about that. Um, and then, you know, we're also trying to provide resources to parents about how to balance it all um, and, and, and manage, you know, this really tough time of having to work from home and then also deal with childcare. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when this all started, my uh, my best friend called and said, you know, just from an economical perspective, she's like, this is like our depression. I said, yeah, but except during the depression, kids could still go to school. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a whole other lens to this. Yes, very good point. I think the thing that I hear, you know, just like what Jenny said, but parents, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, how do I do this? All my friends and peer group is like, how do we do this? You know, this is nothing any of us envisioned ever doing. So we're not supposed to know how, 
Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something I try to remind myself of. This is not normal. Like this is none of us intended, unless you do homeschool your children and work, um, none of us intended to, we couldn't envision this. I certainly couldn't. Um, So it's this abnormal time. And I think I try to, some days are okay and fluid and other days it's a disaster. And you just have to, the act of, you know, accepting that and, and figuring out how to let it go. Um, and I think from the kids that I'm seeing and I see, I have more maybe adolescent patients that, you know, riddled with boredom, um, now that they're kind of in this new school routine, a lot of them are doing online schooling or synchronized learning. And, um, first it was like, some schools are giving almost too much. So it's creating like almost too much work than in a given school day. Um, and then that gets modified or whatnot, but it's boredom, it's missing friends, Um, And especially with adolescents, it's missing milestones too, like so many. So there's a lot of like themes of grief and loss um, and trying to just support and validate that. And at Chamai, we were able to like switch to telehealth relatively quickly. Um, So I feel lucky about that. So we were able to kind of keep our, keep our doors, our virtual doors open, um, which we're doing a lot Mm -hmm. of now, but we were able to transition pretty quick. Um, And I'm surprised doing telehealth is something I didn't expect to do. Um, and actually how well it works, even with littles, like six-year-olds and, and, and upwards. So, um, I still like in-person stuff, so I don't want this to become the new normal for good, but, um, it's yeah. at least we have this, which they didn't have in the depression. I would loop back to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do think in many ways I'm like, okay, you know, I work in the technology industry. I'm like, this yeah. is what it was built for. This is the good right. that it can right. do from telemedicine to telehealth, um, and it's not going to replace in person, but you can see the expressions, you can read the body language, um, you can connect, and there, it, it's a different form of connection that I think we've all started to adjust to here and there. But it's um, hopefully one of the better uses of technology we've seen. Um, so I, I'm curious, yeah. you you touched on something, Andrea, there with you know what you're seeing in terms of adolescence, and I can echo you know kind of the boredom and the missing friends um, from my own household. Um, <laughs> I think we're all feeling that, frankly, as humans. But um, yeah. what what are some of the things that you guys are seeing vary across ages? Because I'd imagine for homes where kids are at different ages, they're having different experiences. Um, They're obviously different personalities, so they could be internalizing things differently. But are there overarching themes and buckets similar to how you said for adolescents that you're seeing across, you know, maybe six-year-olds or four-year-olds or different uh, stages of of child's ages? I think the younger kids are doing okay in terms of like not really understanding the gravity of what what's going on in the world, mm-hmm. you know? And so they're just, I think for them, it's more the cooped upness, like not being able to go anywhere um, or like the, the lack of structure, I think is, is hard for the kiddos where, um, you know, they have to figure out creative ways to entertain themselves and, um, and, you know, deal with mommy and daddy being busy all the time. Um, so I think for the younger kids, they're, they, they're less, I think, sad, but, but, but like, you know, just having a hard time in, in terms of behavior, I think. Mm-hmm. I can, again, yeah. echo. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Like, this is such a relief. We're we're behaving uh, appropriately. Yes. <laughs> it's survival. I mean, even this this many weeks into it, it's still very much survival and and just doing the best we can. I mean, that's like the the mantra that's I try to keep at the forefront of my yeah. brain every day. Yeah, I would just I, add so with, my eight year old. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. with younger kids too. Something I noticed with my 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 now seven year old who was just six his, you know, their sense of time, you know, it's not like with an older kid, we can say, so we're thinking summer will look, you know, a little different. And we're hoping that, you know, things will loosen up. But um, with my younger one, he was always like, I would always try to put things on a calendar to orient him to time. And now it's just because we have no, on one hand, we have no concrete timeline. But for younger ones, too, it's just so abstract, you know, like, it feels like a week can feel like a month, you know, (laughs) And let's just face it, it's it's felt like half a year, at least to me. Uh, it feels like our yeah. life 
before and now our life now. So it's, it's very strange. Yeah, like for my four-year-old, he almost divides the the day into two days because there's the nap in between. So he's like, <laughs> you know, his sense of time is this has been a long time. And so yesterday, yeah. actually, we were talking about how the gardener can come back now. They're they're easing restrictions um here, and so you know we were explaining that to him, and he was like, oh, because. Because then can um, the petite playhouse, this like indoor play space, open too? And we said, oh, that might take a, a long time for that to come back. And he was like, no. And he started crying. And I had, and I was like so surprised because otherwise he's been like not really talking about it that much or care that much. But for some reason in that moment, he started to just feel really sad about it. And so we were caught off guard and we were like, we tried to validate, yes, that feels very sad. And, you know, it will reopen. We don't know when, and, you know, just be there for him. And um, it is as a parent, I just feel like you're getting these questions that are, I mean, you know, always as a parent, you would get these questions that were impossible to answer. But now it's at a level where, you know, at least even if they were challenging questions, we had some sense of what this looked like. Like my daughter asked my husband, uh, is this your first lockdown? And so in her head, maybe it happens every eight years, right? Like she has no idea. And we're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. So sorry. Just to level set, (laughs) you know, this is and and you realize that their interpretation of events is they assume things are normal. They look to us to protect mm-hmm. them and to help them explain what to expect. And I find in this instance, like you're saying, I will have completely like incongruent reactions to certain things. Like the first time I saw paper towels on the shelves, I burst into tears because I was like, yeah. okay, this is a sign of hope, right? And And, mm-hmm. and it's very... Like hearing your son's reaction to his play space not being open for a while to me seems like it's that roller coaster that we're all on each day. Mm-hmm. And so you multiply that by however many folks are in your house um, mm-hmm. and just kind of how we're all internalizing the situation differently. Are there any, um, like just to switch gears to the heaviest of heavy on this topic? So, mm-hmm. death and loss. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there is a tremendous amount of, of everyone, I will say, is experiencing some form of loss in this. So I feel like people in a crisis are always quick to say, well, my situation's not that bad. And I do kind of stop people from trying to minimize their experience in that way, because everyone's got some form of loss. There's obviously the worst form of loss in this scenario with death. And what are some tips in your expertise that you've had for different ages and talking about that, particularly in the thing that, you know, a lot of these people are leaving their homes and you never see them again. So you don't know necessarily, there's not that time to say goodbye or do any of those, um, you know, more ritualistic things that you could do in different situations. Do you guys have any tips uh, for any of our listeners that might be going through that with their children? Yeah. So, you know, I think, like you said, grief and loss definitely is already hard. And then this situation makes it even more unique. Um, you know, in general, we, we say for, for kids dealing with the loss is to try to make time and space for them to talk about it, express their feelings, ask questions, answer them the best you can. It's okay if you don't know the answer to something and you come back to it. Um, try to validate their feelings instead of trying to fix it immediately. Just sort of sitting with the feelings is, is always a good idea. It's okay if you're sad too. Mm-hmm. Um, just remember that if, it, if it's kind of uncontrollable sadness though, you want to kind of maybe delegate that to someone else who can at least keep it a little bit together. Cause it can be scary for a child to see their parents totally fall apart, but it's okay. If, if you're sad and you're crying a little bit, that, I mean, that's appropriate. Um, try to follow the child's lead. Often a child may not be that ready to talk about it. And they're going to switch between ask a question, go play with my Legos, ask a question, you know, so 
it's okay however they do that um or especially with covid it may not feel very real to them because they haven't they didn't say goodbye they didn't see the person sick they didn't know um there's no there's no funeral so um sometimes it doesn't feel that real to them um so doing activities to help them express themselves or memorialize can be a good way to to process like through art or they can um you know put together a memory book or a slideshow to help them help them process oh that's a great Um, idea yeah, and there are great books too about grief. To Can you recommend of, any that you would? Um, yeah, we have a, a, a list actually um, on childmind.org. There's like a coping with grief um, guide, and at the end, there are some good books. One book I like is When Dinosaurs Die. So that's okay. a good one for the littler. Yeah. And I think like I would just add in, sorry, a lot of these conversations, they're not just one time, especially with little kids. Like, like Jenny had said, you're, they kind of dabble in it, I think. And I've seen this even with my own kids when we, I lost my dad years ago and having to talk about it with them and it was, they seem fine and then they're not, and they seem fine. And then it's just, and, and like the play structure, not opening, it's unusual things that will, you know, impact them and kids, you know, it's, kids, the way they developmentally, you know, it's all about them and that's, that's normal and that's okay. Um, so the impact is, can be really different. Um, and then especially with little ones, um, when we're talking about death and loss, um, being really mindful of using, you know, the words you're comfortable using, like euphemisms, like they went to a better place or they passed away. Those are really confusing, especially for the younger kids. Um, so whatever family language you're comfortable using, you know, they, they died, um, you know, they're not, you know, um, living anymore. That kind of stuff I think is, are, are good things uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, it is. It's so interesting. My, um, when my grandmother died, my son was about four and his immediate response was, but I liked her. You know, it was like something had been taken away from him that like, why would that happen? You know, and and explaining it to him, I think we did reference something that happened in Kung Fu Panda, but he understood that she died. But the Mm -hmm. way to kind of bring that that big premise into his mind um, was was challenging. I'm not sure that everyone should uh, use Kung Fu Panda as their their parenting coping guide, but uh, it works. Seems okay. Uh, when you talk about just just uh, switching gears a little bit, and that's so helpful. Thank you, because I think that's really a topic that a lot of people struggle with, um, and and particularly Jenny sharing about kind of knowing when your own emotions are in that space, which is okay, obviously, but knowing that that can have unintended consequences to the grieving process for your children and just realizing that like, okay, this is a moment that I actually need to uh, make sure the bedroom door locks and, and have mm-hmm. a moment for myself. So um, that was really helpful. I think when, you know, one thing I'm seeing as we start to lift these uh, restrictions, hopefully, and we see some parts of society come back into it, um, as a parent, I have a ton of anxiety, um, particularly for my kids as soon as I can't see them, right? Like, are they going to go to the park with their masks and then take them off? You know, what are some of the, or or, or the kids are going to internalize that same anxiety of like, is it safe to be with my friends right now? And I think that can have a deep psychological impact. Um, What are some of the ways that you guys have been thinking about the psychological impacts of re-entry into society, you know, even those, sorry, now I'm going on a bit of a rant, but those moments (laughs) of just like, you know, when I first see my best friend, like I'm going to want to go hug her and you can't Mm -hmm. like, what does that do, you know, to, in, in terms of your connection and your, um, it's heartbreaking. So That wasn't a really well-formed question. <laughs> We're just going to switch into my own therapy question right We're now. Gonna... I'm like... 
<laughs> group therapy. That's great. I think it's, you know, something that comes to my mind is um, how, I mean, for reentry, for sure, for now, absolutely, how we're taking care of ourselves um, and how we're managing our own anxiety with this. I mean, and so self care, like what I try to keep in mind again every day as best I can, um, you know, thinking about what we can control. So I can practice, you know, I can exercise, I can devote time to exercising every day. I can control, you know, what our nutrition is. You know, these are the things um, we have masks when we go for walks or things like that. And um, just trying to, I think one of the most challenging aspects is not to get so far ahead um, and, and it's easy to just kind of flood with those thoughts of what if, what if when this happens and what is this going to look like? And I think, um, just the act of that hard part of just accepting this uncertainty right now is one of the things, um, I think that challenges everybody, um, you know, even with, you know, without anxiety at baseline, I think that's mm -hmm. a hard thing to imagine. So I think, you know, holding on and, and digging in just like we've been doing and, and trying to just focus on, you know, you're going to have conversations with your kids about going to the parks and the instructions are to keep their masks on. And you're going to have to, you know, hold on to that trust. And, you know, maybe you do it in a, in a way where you go with them first and then, you know, take all those, you know, parenting steps, you know, along the way. But I think, you know, regardless of what age kids are, they just pick up so much on our, um, they're like our emotional barometers, even when we think they're not mm -hmm. tuned in or and we think we, we, it doesn't appear that they're listening at all. Um, they are, and they feel it. So I think, um, you know, it makes me even think about the grief stuff. It's okay to be, it's okay to not do it well as parents. And, and it's okay to acknowledge that. I actually think it's really important to acknowledge, like, I'm really worried about this. And I think I'm, you know, worried about what, you know, what, how you're going to be when you see your friends and if you're going to maintain social distancing or what, you know, whatever the, the specifics are, um, having those conversations, but also, you know, it's all about that balance and, and moderation a little bit mm -hmm. too. And if it's one thing we're all learning as parents, it's this act of letting go and it's hard. Um, uh, and so in many ways, it's kind of like this other way that we have to, um, continue to practice our letting go and, um, which is, which is not easy, especially now. Yeah. I would say also, especially this kind of age of parenting where I've heard a lot of my friends say that all of a sudden their kids that were hyper scheduled all of a sudden have nothing on their schedules. <laughs> and, you know, there's yeah. part of them that some of them are like, actually, they're so much happier or they're so much more, you know, less stressed out because they have less to achieve each day. Um, and I think there's really interesting, I, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting societal outcomes from, from this, which, you know, cause we've kind of just been on this treadmill of just going faster, faster, more, more, more. And so it's kind mm. of forced everyone to rethink what their day and their schedule and their lifestyle is structured around. But I, I love the tip around focusing on what you can control mm -hmm. and, and just kind of taking it into those bite-sized steps instead of letting everything snowball. Um, one kind of, question that keeps coming up across, um, lots of communities is this idea of, you know, screen time rules was such a big thing before this crisis hit of, do you not let your kids have screens during the week? Or do you only do a certain number of hours a day? Like how, I mean, I feel like all bets are off right now, um, and have been for about seven or eight weeks. Um, <laughs> But like, what, what is the, like the, the research that you've done or the impact that you see in terms of screen time at like different developmental stages? Are, are there things that we really need to be concerned with in terms of what we look out for in terms of a sign that it's too much or a sign that this is a child or a developmental cycle that can handle it? Um, you know, kind of getting away from that rigid monitoring that parents had, like what is the actual mm -hmm. behavioral or long-term impact that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, this is probably the most uh, common question or the most thing that we keep fielding too. Um, and I would say the short answer to that is 
now is not the time to be rigid about my own opinion is now is not the time to be rigid about screen time. We all have to, I think we operate under the, of course, our kids are going to get more screen time. You know, the school day in many ways is not nine to three anymore. I mean, a lot of the learning is in shorter chunks. Um, so I think, I think a little bit of acceptance, like it's okay. There's going to be more time. There's just more downtime. Um, I think it's also a couple of things that I think about is um, looking at what they're using screens for. And developmentally, these are different things, right? For older ones and even my 11-year-old, screen time for him and gaming is a chance to connect with friends. Never did once I think mm -hmm. I'd be so grateful for him to be playing video games. And all of a right. sudden I'm like, great, did you talk to your buddy today? And who'd you talk to today? And who was in the game? And you know, that's about the extent of my conversations around gaming. Um, but I think that's such an important piece because again, like FaceTime, like Zoom, um, those are such important pieces. Um, and also my older one and even my younger one now, we're doing Zoom play dates, you know, where it's not mm -hmm. as though they're going to have the most stimulating heart-to-heart -heart conversations, um, but they're playing Legos together. They're showing each other their rooms or something silly or, you know, certainly, um, or sometimes with my older one, it's no talking, but just gaming together, you know? Um, right. So I think, you know, having those, I think those are great venues for connecting. Um, I think if you're a super stellar and connected parent, you could try gaming with them. Um, I'm the worst gamer, so I, my kids actually like it because they can just obliterate me in most games, and I, I'm terrible, and I own it, and I'm totally okay with it. Um, so that's good to build them up a little bit. But um, you know, I think I, I think although it is a free for all, and I've had plenty of days where it's a free for all, um, I think still finding that balance. You know, I do think when life resumes, like we knew it, there's just not going to be they're not going to be home for hours and hours and hours and hours on end where they have that opportunity. So I think naturally those things will change. So I think mm -hmm. for parents who are really worried about this right now, you know, I at least would be someone that would say, it's okay. Look, these are such weird times. We're doing what we can, you know, for excess gaming or screen time for a period of time is not going to cause harmful effects to your children um, life is going to be okay. It's the same kind of guidelines that we talk about. Are they doing enough school? Um, right now mm -hmm. is the time to focus on mental health, their overall well-being, and I think kids are going to look back at this and remember their how they felt during this time. Not, not so much. I didn't get through my math work, or I spent so much time on screens. Maybe they'll remember that, but I, I just don't <laughs> see. I just don't see harm to that. Um, yeah, you know, I know. I think under you know. I a lot of research talks about, you know, no screens till age two, you know, that's a big one for littles. Um, but I think again, how do we connect with families right now? Having those really funny, silly Zoom FaceTimes where um, every older relative who I speak to only shows their forehead up and how we, <laughs> we talk about how silly that is. And my younger one asking me, why do why does grandma do that? You know, <laughs> well, grandma isn't, isn't dialed into what she looks like on FaceTime or Zoom. Let's just be grateful we can we can get her on those things. So, um, yeah, my big win most days is if I can keep my kids off games until three p.m. Um, you know, the end of kind of a school day where we've had different activities. I feel like it's a huge win. Um, and yeah. so then they get, you know, that time to connect with friends, that time to play, maybe use screens. Screens are definitely happening most days, but, um, you know, I think, I think again, it's all about flexibility. And if we're not flexible right now, we're going to make ourselves, we're, it's going to be really hard for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would just add, you know, for every child, it's different, you know, for some kids, they get real affected by screens and you can tell, and they are melting down when it's time to turn it off some kids like they're fine and they can go off and go on and you know it doesn't bother them so you kind of have to be a scientist and sort of experiment with how much is too much and how much you know your child can handle on um the child mind website there's a checklist a developmental checklist to see you know whether your child is spending too much time on screen so one question is, you know, oh, is my child sleeping enough? Are they eating okay? You know, are they getting some form of exercise every day? 
Are they getting quality time with the family or are they just sort of like um, sequestered to their living? Yeah. Yeah. Do they use some screen time to keep in touch with friends? Like Andrea said, are they invested in schoolwork and keeping up with work? Um, So just sort of like basic functioning. Are they still doing what they need to do? Yeah. If not, then, you know, kind of need to cut back. It might be problematic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because screen time, I'm sorry, using those screen times as, um, you know, those things are done first and then there's, you know, using screen time as an incentive, I still think is good. Um, I think that's actually really helpful um, right now. And it's, you know, and also talking with kids about it and saying, look, we're going to have, it's going to be different. It's different than when you're in a regular school day and you have all these extracurriculars and things like that and play dates and um, but we know it's a time for enjoyment and relaxation and we all need that. Um, and we do that mm-hmm. in different ways. So I think that's, you know, it's, it's, again, it's all about finding that balance too. Um, and what's going to work. Yeah. And I, I think my, you know, I see for my, my personal situation, my daughter is not, she doesn't engage in zoom calls. Like she'll do it occasionally, but she's not into it. And it's just, Mm -hmm. she's not getting anything out of it. So I don't push her. If she asks to FaceTime with a friend of hers, I'm like, go ahead. But at first I was like, why don't you zoom with your friend and read a book together? And I was really trying to force it. And I was like, she is not getting anything out of this. It's not, it's just making me feel better. And it has, you know, so it's, it is like reading her cues. Um, and, and I love what you said earlier about, um, you know, the kids are going to remember how they felt during this time. Mm-hmm. Did they feel safe? Did they feel supported? Um, they might be having the opportunity with all the spare time to pick up hobbies that they never mm-hmm. would have explored before. Um, you know, just kind of letting them be. I mean, the way I was raised, it was, I didn't have camps. Summer was just summer. You just sat yeah. at the house and Outside figured out what in the, the hell backyard. to do. Exactly. Yeah. Come home, there come home no when structure. the street lights come on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. we were, we were lucky if we even had an adult around, like, you know, it was, <laughs> it was just different. And so I, I do feel like there's some kind of Renaissance moment here of just like, you know, I've always taught my kids. I always say, you know, whenever they say they're bored, I said, only boring people get bored. Just find something <laughs> to do. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I think there's something to that, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't feel bored. I'm the opposite of bored. I have too much to do from (laughs) these four walls, but for them, I think it could be an opportunity to just kind of let that flourish. And in some ways it does happen digitally now, right? Like it's, there's, there's some sort of, that's the way that they're connecting. Like you said, with gaming, it's social. Um, But I think Jenny, when you hit on those moments of like, you know, everyone's different and everyone's going to mm-hmm. react to these things in a different way and layered onto the anxieties that people are experiencing and even the coping mechanisms that are different across families. Like I'm sure you and your partners, you know, are, have a different interpretation or different news watching habits or whatever it may be. So there's all these different things at play within a single household. Um, yeah. Which, think which is also too, what- in- what I like what you said earlier is that you, you know, how you were describing what you were, you were leading your daughter with, you know, try this FaceTime and do these things with your friends. And, um, you were able to, at some point to step back and say, wait, this is not, this is more me than her. So I'm just going to let her be. So I think that's a beautiful actually example of how we do have to read our kids. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think providing these, you know, they have the resources to do these things, but you know, some of us don't get anything out of it. Um, yeah. whereas my older one who yes, does gaming, you know, me and a couple mom's friends kind of had this early conversation into this. So like, what are you doing around screens? And, um, they do want to still connect. So what's a good time not to schedule it per se, but like, you know, and so we all kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, after 3 PM, most days is, is fair game, so to speak. Um, so it's, I think there can be some neat, never in the world did I thought I'd be like scheduling these things for my, for my kids. but. Um, it's also the sense of community, which I think we're all missing Mm -hmm. this connection. Um, and you know, us as, as women connecting with friends and finding ways to still do that. And, um, but yeah, there's absolutely with partners. I mean, I can speak to my husband is much more introverted than me. So he's like, this isn't so bad. And I'm thinking, (laughs) what what is wrong with you? This is terrible. You know, in my moments where (laughs) 
I just miss the, the being with people. Um, yeah. And you know, that that's waxes and wanes. And I think we're finding new ways to do that. You know, whether it's again, going back to kind of some self-care stuff, like zoom, I did a zoom yoga class with a girlfriend or zoom happy hour, or FaceTime and things like that, where we're, I think for, especially, you know, if you're, if you're fortunate where you have another partner in the situation, um, having the ability to tap in and tap out to carve out, even if it's 20 minutes where you can just be, be by yourself. I think we're all missing that, um, work transition time where we would transition from work to home. That's all blurry mm-hmm. now. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. never did I think also I'd miss my commuting. Um, and I kind of <laughs> did with that because that was my chance to decompress and catch up with, you know, friends and, um, things like that. Listen so I think podcast. it's just, podcast and the podcast that's right yes true (laughs) um but we don't have that anymore so again another weird thing that we're not doing but seeing how we can be creative and and doing them yeah and hopefully go back to those things much more mindfully when we can and just be really appreciative for what we have yeah Yeah. and i think sorry you said something before i'm sorry you said something before too about um you know, letting our kids just be. And I think there are some really neat silver linings, you know, that, that we can find. And I think talking about them as a family, you know, in, in age appropriate, depending on the age of your kids, like, um, we try to do family walks most days. My seven-year-old had the biggest meltdown about why do you always make us walk? This is the worst (laughs) mom every day you make me, I mean, he, he just puts on the emotion. Um, and by the end of the walk, he was just happy, laughing. I mean, it's an important activity for all of us and doing these things. Maybe I need to loosen it up and not make them do it every day. Um, but just finding those moments of joy. I have a friend who has two teenage boys and he said they have nightly card games, good old fashioned card games with his two teenagers who before this, yeah, they didn't want anything to do with that. So, you know, finding those sweet moments and, and doing and building things differently is Um, hopefully some aspects that the kids will remember too about that feeling good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I feel a tremendous amount of guilt last night. I finally got to the porch for cocktail hour. My daughter's like, will you play with me? And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Like, I just want to sit here and scroll on my phone and drink my wine. And I, and I'm like, this poor child has no social interaction, but then I'm like, you're balancing whose needs are more important right now. And I right. don't want to do that, you know, and it's, oh, it, it, the, the guilt is exponential. And I think especially like you're saying, you don't have those bookends of your day where you, you know, I literally remember I used to open my door and be like, okay, here we go, going in, you know, and like, yeah. you're just in a different yeah. mindset and we don't, it, it's all blurring together. I'm sure we're all in our bedrooms right now doing this. Yeah. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's all blurring together. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, that, you know, you don't want to reject your daughter in those moments, but also, you know, we use the, you know, the example that I'll probably most people have heard of the oxygen mass example. So if we're not taking care of yeah. ourselves, um, we can't help our kids. And that's exactly in an, in an emergency on an airplane, they say, put it on yourself and then help your, you know, minor passenger or whatnot. So, um, I think it's okay. I mean, the guilt is never, you know, the guilt is just so rich. The moment I think you become a parent and and we're going to be ridden with guilt at different aspects. It's also super unhelpful, but it's just one of those aspects of parenting that we have. Um, but prioritizing ourselves, especially as women, um, is something we're really good at not doing. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. if we can get to a place of like owning this, like I need this right now. I need this cocktail on the porch where I can just mindlessly, you know, look on social media or something and, and I will play with you or, you know, see if mom or, you know, the other parent is available or how about you set it up for me and I'll be there in 20 minutes. You know, those, those, yeah. you, can, you can do both. Um, but I think yeah. it's, I think it's important. There's so just switching gears here for a minute, because one thing that I've learned in my kind of exploration of mental health, and I didn't know this before, is that anxiety and depression are actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, are on the same kind of spectrum. Um, And so they are, I assume, now I am not a doctor, uh, but some (laughs) sort of uh, correlation there. And so 
you know, I do think about particularly with adolescence and depression, and um, I've done some work in the space with suicide prevention, like, what are some things that parents, you know, with kids who either have tendencies toward um, depression or anxiety prior to this, um, or, you know, even kids with special needs, what are some things that parents either should look out for, uh, tips of things they can do, resources they could reach out to? I think that's such, you know, something we know is that, yes, all kids are going to, just like all adults are, you know, impacted differently. Um, if you're coming into the situation with anxiety and depression, it might look different. Um, it, uh, interestingly, some kids that I have, I see a lot of kids with social anxiety, and they're actually feeling a little bit better because guess what? They don't have to be out in the world as much. And so mm-hmm. um, there's not this one size, one formula thing, but um, you know, parents know their kids. And I think reading them and monitoring them, even in these situations is so key. And, and in most situations, kids don't necessarily come and tell us they're struggling or, you know, especially younger kids, but they're going to show us. So looking for things like we always would with changes. So, um, changes in eating habits, sleep is gigantic indicator, you know, some sleep a lot, some sleep a little, Um, but looking for what we call those functional changes, I think is something, Mm -hmm. you know, are they not connecting with their friends? Um, you know, those kinds of things, are they withdrawing more? Are they irritable and irritability is a big indicator, um, you know, beyond the typical irritability, I would say. Right. Um, I was just going to say teenagers are. (laughs) Yes. Every teenager is irritable. Um, and that's developmentally (laughs) normal. Um, but I think, you know, a very probably non-scientific sounding answer is like trusting your gut too. Um, you know, as a parent, you know, we get those gut instincts that I don't know, you know, he's just, something seems off. I don't know. I just want to, let's try checking in with him more, um, you know, having kind of check-ins and whatnot, but, and then reaching out for resources when you need to. Um, of course our, you know, child mind has great resources. You can find, you know, so much literature on different conditions and indicators. So that's obviously a good, a good tool to go to if you're wondering. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then if you are, and then if you are noticing some symptoms, you know, what you can do is try to engage with them Mm -hmm. and, and remember that you don't always have, they don't have to talk. I think a lot of parents, like, they think of connecting as, like, let's sit down and stare at each other and talk about our feelings. <laughs> really, it's, it's, it's We're going to have this talk now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. 20 minutes, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's doing things together, creating opportunity, especially for teenagers. They're not going to just open up to you right away. It's If you're doing, if you're on a walk, maybe 20 minutes in, you'll get like a glimmer of something, you Mm -hmm. know, and just sort of, and I think what I tell parents a lot of teens, especially is just listen, stop trying to fix all their problems. Um, Say, oh, why don't you try this? Or why don't you call this person? Or why don't you do that? It's just like validating, like, yeah, that is hard. Or that is mean that she posted that or how do you feel about what she said? You know, just sort of being with your kids and trying to stay connected with them. And then, and then that, that should help with some of the anxiety and depression. And they do go together. Those two. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so, I, I mean, I can relate to so much of what you're saying with my son. It's just, you don't know when they're going to want to talk about anything and you just kind of got to be there and like, it's like a puzzle. Take the cues of like, oh, is. this is where I could probe and I might get an answer. And, you know, yeah. and it is. It's a very delicate, it's a delicate kind of age and space to, mm-hmm. you know, talk about. It. And he'll tease me. He's like, oh boy, here she goes. Here comes the talk. Here comes the lesson. And it's like, you know, and, and we make light of it. But, um, you know, I, I do think it's important, like you're saying, to just let them guide you. Uh, it's really hard to do. It's really it hard. To, it goes back yeah, to what we want to fix. We want to make it stop the bad yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's not a one-time thing, too. I think a lot of us think, okay, we had the mental health conversation, so we're done now, kind of thing. You know, exactly. I, I'd rather it be in spurts. You know, if I have another parent of a teenager say, the only time they'll talk to me is when we're in the car, when we're driving, we're not looking at each other. 
and I get little moments or, you know, things like that, um, you know, things can, can happen. But I think many of us, and I'm guilty of this, I talk too much. So for me, it's always this exercise of like, dial it back, just be, just listen, you know, reflecting back what they're saying. So, so it sounds like you're thinking this, you know, um, and just, just hearing it. And, and one thing that I try to be mindful of too, is when they do share, you know, really re, um, reinforce that in some way. So, you know, affection, hug, I'm just so glad we, you can talk to me about this stuff and I'm always here mm. for you. And, um, you know, the other parent as well, but, um, I think if there's a way to really, um, capture that for them, you know, again, that good feeling that, you know, this was okay to do maybe mom knows something about this, or maybe I'll talk to her again. Um, yeah. Cause at the end of the day, isn't that our goal with our kids that regardless of how old they are, they're always come back to us and, you know, we'll be that sounding board for them and always be there to listen. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always try to think like, okay, what's the thing he's going to say? Like my mom always used to say, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I mean, that's a lot of right. pressure to put on myself for each conversation, but like, you're trying to get these, <laughs> these sound bites that sit with them that like, you know, will be something that the, you'll be that voice nagging them in their head for years to come. But maybe I should work on being more present and <laughs> <laughs> not focusing so much. Um, let me ask one, one final question here. Um, what is, so we always hear this phrase that children are resilient. You know, you hear it when people are going through a divorce or there's an illness or loss. Um, children are resilient. Like, what are what is your impression of that phrase? What are some of the ways that you've seen children, you know, resolve from trauma um, or, or work through traumas in the past, whether it's wars or revolutions or trauma in the home? Like, what are some of the skills and, and, and perspectives on that? Well, you know, there, I, I agree that children really are resilient. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing what they can handle, especially sometimes compared to adults too. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and there's a wide range of factors that go into resilience. Some of them are like part of their personality. It's sort of like a trait. Um, but there's also factors that are external. And one of the most consistent findings in, in this literature is that how important social support is mm. for having um, an adult who in their life that they trust, that loves them, who's modeling effective coping. So that's why it's so important right now for parents to, to take care of themselves and be there for their kids um, and connect you know, even though that's so hard juggling, working, all the domestic stuff that we have to do, all the dishes. Um, so, you know, I think um, that's one of the most important things is that, you know, our, um, being there for our kids is, is the, the best way we can sort of foster resilience and modeling, modeling, just showing them how to deal with stress, how to deal with sadness, how to deal with um being angry, you know, mm. um, one thing also that, that a, a lot of us therapists have been thinking about is, is those kiddos in the less healthy families, mm -hmm. you know, where their parents are not doing so great for whatever reason and, and are not able to be those, those supportive, um, adults for them. And, you know, normally they would get it from school you know, a teacher, or, um, maybe they would go, they, they visit grandparents a lot and that's their person. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, trying to think about if, you know, a child in a family like that, sort of trying to reach out to them, even though it's maybe hard because you have to go through the parent <laughs> to yeah. access the kids. So, um, you know, I think a lot of teachers are thinking about that right now, you know, in, the, in, um, you know, oh, Johnny didn't come to the the call or they don't have the technology. So they're not making it to the calls. I don't know how they're doing. And so it kind of is stressful for um, so some of our teachers out there who, who know that the families, some of our families are not doing so well. So um, yeah, that is that is definitely a significant issue in terms of um, either access, support, encouragement, or general safety. 
in the home for some of these children. Um, is there anything that you would advise any of our listeners who may be educators in terms of any engagement tips uh, with kids that they could potentially do to reach out and try to connect with those who might not be in as safe a situation? I think, yeah. Um, sorry, I was going to say, I think, um, you know, huge appreciate. I mean, I've always appreciated teachers. I think we all do now more than ever. Like, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you do it with grace? And how do you do it with 25 kids? And it's a whole other something I could never not do. Screaming. Um, yes, exactly. No, not things. yelling. That's part of teaching too. <laughs> um, right. Um, but I'm just so impressed with, you know, the way teachers have taken this on. Cause like us, as stressed as we are, and let alone the teachers who are also parents, like my hat goes off to them because I don't know how they're doing it. But, um, you know, what I've heard from from my friends' kids and um, and even with my own kids that the the teachers reaching out and there's um, the concern that they have when they when they can't reach some of these kids and what's going on and worried about them. Um, but so many times I keep hearing of teachers doing such amazing things, whether it's holding, you know, um, time for them online reserve, kind of like a drop in office hours, who's ever around, guess what? I'm, you know, come say hi, or, um, you know, if you can get an email, I'd love hearing from you and creating that space where even the kids can be together and join in on something. But, um, it's so hard right now. Um, and I think our, our teachers are just doing an incredible amount of, you know, incredible job. Um, here, here. Right. Andrea was saying how some of her um, teacher or the teachers for her kids are doing a lot of mindfulness mm-hmm. activities. So, so, you know, that's a great way to not sort of dive into anything personal or, or open up anything real hard. I think right now for a lot of these kids, we, we don't need to poke at it. We just need to sort of help them get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so teaching them things like mindfulness, how to calm your body, how to find, um, respite, even if your house is chaos, like how to find calm. Um, and so, right. Andrew, that some of the teachers doing yeah. some breathing, even, the, even the first grade, my first, my kids, first grade teachers, they do this bunny breath in snake breath out. Like that's how she starts every, probably for a minute or two of, you know, just some calm breathing and teaching little ones more diaphragmatic breathing. Um, yeah, having playing games, you know, teachers. I can think again. I think it's just that connecting piece. You know, I'm just blown yeah. away. Like when one of my kids' teachers did a scavenger hunt in your house, um, and she just, <laughs> oh, you know, was yeah. beyond creative, and it was so fun. You know, it was like the delight that that they're able to, and the fact that again, teachers are able to just do these things and and think so deeply and creatively, but um, connecting. And I think and even probably- going back. To, Sorry, going back to what Jenny said about if you're worried about a kid or, you know, even as a parent, you know, we haven't heard from them. I wonder how they're doing, you know, as, as the, as the helicopter parents and us just, you know, trying to check in with them. And, and again, that just builds that sense of community, um, which I think Mm -hmm. is so, um, such an integral piece that we, we can still have and we, and we still very much have. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just looks it looks different and it's temporary, but it's yeah. you know, we we have, you know, luckily started these conversations and a lot of this work before this crisis, which now we can really employ the tips and tricks, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, listen, thank you both so much for making the time. I know it's such a busy time and your time is in such high demand. Um, I think this is going to be so valuable for our listeners. And uh, if they want more information, they can go to childmindinstitute.org. Um, Childmind.org. Child, see, that's why yeah. I shouldn't have said it. I should have let you say it. <laughs> Childmind.org. Um, and uh, it sounds like there's tons of resources and ways to engage uh, with your organization and your community. Yeah. And I would just add right now, we have extra tools, you know, around COVID too, especially. So you'll see that right when you go to the page and learn about the different things we're doing um, in terms of telehealth and group therapies, some tutoring, um, re- um, neuropsychological testing remotely now too. So lots of exciting stuff oh, wow. happening. Yeah. So using oh, all using all these technology tools in really thoughtful and and ways that we can uh, still provide care. That's amazing. 
That's incredible to see pivot on such an important work. Well, thank you both so very much. And uh, thanks for all that you do. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. The light.